and welcome to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they're doing it. Performance marketing is all about attention. It's the currency that is traded between consumers and advertisers, whether it's seconds on a screen or clicks on a link. So if you're not an attention seeker, you're not doing it right. I'm Lucy Shelley, reporter at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. Today, I am joined by Rita Harnett, e-commerce partner at Wavemaker Global. Hi, Rita. Thanks for being this week's Attention Seeker. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure to have uh, well you and Wavemaker on the podcast. Would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Wavemaker? Yeah, sure. So I um, I work with in the global e-commerce team and we support, we do various things, but the, the main role, I guess, would be to support clients who are multi-market with their um, e-commerce um, maturity strategies. Um, and so we'll work with them to identify what they need to do to develop further and um, to improve their position. So it can it can range across things like looking at the audience types that, that are important for them, what the market landscape is and so forth. And we cover all sort of manifestations of e-commerce from direct to consumer through to e-retailers and Amazon. And yeah, so so that's 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 part of the thing. And the other thing we do is also to develop tools. So we like to take the people who work within the e-commerce team and their knowledge mm-hmm. and make them into tools so that we, you know, if I'm off sick, yes. then someone can use yeah, my yeah. knowledge still kind of thing. Um, so yeah. And before we started recording, you were telling me about your your son's driving test. Yes. And has has he been imparting, taking on your knowledge as well? Well, um, yeah, I mean, I guess what, what um, I was trying to actually in, influence him to become a media, going to media. Um, so when he was doing his GCSEs, which he actually didn't do because of COVID, um, he was supposed to come in to do some work experience at our offices. Um, but actually, he's taken a slightly different turn now. So he was quite interested in it because I thought this was quite a nice um, field to go in for, especially mm. for a young person. And if you get into a global especially role. Especially now as well. Yeah, completely. And if you go into a global role, you get to travel. And so there's lots of interesting things when you're, you know, that sort of age, the younger age group to sort of get your teeth into. Mm. I think it's a really interesting field. But what, how did he take that? Was he saying, no, mum, I'm not. Well, I'm he was interested in doing it. He wanted to come and do a taster because because he wants to do philosophy at university. And I really feel that the people who are in like the strategy department in our offices are have very sort of philosophy backgrounds because they think about things in a more sort of mm. global, holistic way. And so he would be perfect to be a strategist. It's not having one set track mind, isn't it? Yeah. There's a lot of different skills and uh, Completely. terms involved. Yeah. Well, we'd like to get to know our attention seeker a little bit more. So first off, can you start by telling us by what's getting your attention recently? So I'd say that um, the, the thing that's been the most prevalent for me has been inflation, which everyone knows about that that's going on at the moment. Um, and so what's what's happened is that it's really had an impact on the media industry um, and specifically impacting my field um, is retail media inflation. So just to, to talk about retail media very quickly, that's when you know brands can advertise on 
supermarkets, for example, like Sainsbury's or Amazon, um, not exactly a supermarket, um, but they can advertise in terms of like having sponsored brand or sponsored product placements. And that's called retail media. And that's something that's become very prevalent over the last two years. And what's happened is that with all the things with third party data going and brands are keen to sort of start to use first party data. So the Sainsbury's, Asda's, Morrison's of this world are actually able to offer brands the opportunity to use the, their first party data by advertising on their platforms. And so as a result of that, what's happening is that lots of marketing teams are starting to spend more on that area. And that's also increasing the inflation. And so companies have been coming to us and asking us, how how do we deal with this? How do we mitigate this inflation risk? Um, because they're their money is their pound or dollar is going less far than it used to. And so what um, what we've been doing a lot recently is talking to to clients about how to deal with this this situation. So becoming more creative with their with their outlook. So instead of focusing immediately on the search function on a, for example, Sainsbury's, where they might put their product in or a product, you know, a, a generic term that that works with their product that would surface their product, thinking of other ways of getting around it. So for example, using banners on the platform, or even starting the journey, the customer journey off platform where they, um, they might use, for example, another media such as TV to, to, in, you know, sort of increase the attention or the, the um, visibility of the brand to um, then allow the, the, the customers to see that. And there's been, you know, there's been a study by Nielsen where they um, said that if you, that 71% of people see a TV advert and then um, naturally start to search online. Mm. And so making connections like that and understanding that allows them to find a way to mitigate that inflation risk. And in the recent news, the government have also said that, uh, you know, to make things affordable, brands and companies need to cut their marketing budgets. How do you think that's well, going to affect? I mean, I think I think that's quite an interesting topic because I think that they 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 might not. Well, it's not so much that they need to cut their marketing budgets; it's that they need to find the money to give the discounts to the customers to be mm-hmm. able to help them, and that will naturally affect their marketing budgets because you know they'll have less money to spend on marketing. Mm-hmm. But it depends because there's a lot of. I mean, I haven't got it off the top of my head, but there's a lot of evidence out there that suggests that actually, when there is when we are heading towards a recession and we have inflation like this, it's really important to be more prevalent to to advertise um, even more because then customers you stay top of mind for customers and in the long term you come out all the better for it mm. and you retain the loyal customers as that's well. right exactly so so there's this thing with Heinz at the moment where they're not selling through Tesco's because Tesco's is refusing to pass on the um, cost pro- you know the cost increase so Heinz has actually increased their cost because they're having they're having mm-hmm. you know their manufacturing costs have gone up everything's gone up and so they're wanting to pass that on and Tesco's is are, you know, basically refuse to stock their products. So there's empty shelves in Tesco's now where Heinz used to be. And there's this battle that's going on between them. But, you know, it's a case that Tesco's has had massive profits recently. So it's like, do do the companies, does the brand and the retailer need to work together mm-hmm. to find a way to help the consumer in the long term? And that will also help them from a branding perspective for both the brand and the retailer, because the consumers will see that they're trying to help them and 
potentially become more loyal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one wants to see empty Heinz shelves. No, exactly. What a disaster. <laughs> what are we going to do about our hot dogs if we haven't got any ketchup? <laughs> You are, and you are this week's attention seeker. So we want to know how much of an attention seeker you really are. So can you tell us about a time where you've done something completely stupid for attention? And I would say this was a safe space, but obviously this yeah. is going public. So. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I so when we talked about this, you know, obviously when we talked about this before, I, I had a think about this question. And the, the one of the things in the question was actually something that was necessary or unnecessary. Mm-hmm. So I've got something that's, that I think was necessary and unnecessary. Um, so the necessary thing is, is it, it was funny because I was, I forgot that I did this. When I was at secondary school, I um, decided that I wanted to run a... So Blue PT used to encourage people to do bring and buy sales. Mm-hmm. And I think that I obviously got my um, my retailer background from starting that young, basically, because I was always fascinated about having a till when I was, you know, when you were small, yes. and you had a till. Yeah. And then um, when we, when I was at school, I decided I wanted to run a bring and buy sale so that to raise money for, for charity. And so I organized the whole event end to end. I'm not sure where I knew how to do this but you know I organized my class to bring stuff in um to sell at the bring and buy sell we had a pricing strategy <laughs> I'm laughing how about old it. Were you again I was about 12 or 13 so it was like secondary school strategy. so it started at like 20p maybe um, <laughs> this day these days that would be a pound um and it obviously went upwards and we had different categories like I had different desks around the classroom set out with different product types and then we did marketing. So, you know, created posters to put around the school. Mm. And I, I can't quite believe I did that. But it was something in me that, that you know, I just naturally felt like I knew what I was you doing. You had your e-commerce calling I for had very that, Yeah, very and age. I did go into re- – I mean, like, before I went came to work at Wavemaker, I was a retailer for 20 years. So it was obviously a calling, like mm. I said. And the reason why I thought it was something to talk about was because I did it because I wanted to obviously do this thing to a certain degree, to raise money for charity. But I think that something in me wanted to get the attention as well because, you know, I was sort of like congratulated in front of the school and all of this sort of stuff. So, you know, um, but the the unnecessary thing and the embarrassing thing that I did, um, which was a different story, was when um, we fast forward to when I was at Arcadia and there was a Christmas party with a theme. Um, and the theme was, I think it was 80s. I can't remember when this song was from and I should know this, but a bunch of us, a few of us girls decided to dress up as the Robert Palmer girls. I don't know if you know what I that means. Know. Right. Okay. So now I'm showing my age. <laughs> um, so Robert Palmer had this video called, which was for a song called Addicted to Love. Mm-hmm. And it, they, he had all these women dressed up in the background as his band. And they were in very sort of sexy, clingy, black, okay, short yes. dresses, yeah. bright red lipstick, hair scraped back. Mm-hmm. And it was overtly sexy yes um and so basically we thought it'd be a great idea to dress up as these women we had blow up guitars and we went along to the party um and then because we'd had perhaps a couple too many um you know champagnes perhaps i can't remember (laughs) what we drank um we collared our um head of supply chain management to be our robert palmer (laughs) and we got onto the stage and we 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 reenacted the the thing and i'm 
mortified but I am talking about it yes now. I know but that was like a because it was not a good a positive representation of women at no. all by any stretch of the imagination it's a good show at least Did... I'm sure that some people thought it was a good show probably men mm, um, but yeah and, and a couple of us fell over as well oh, on the God. stage so it was it was yes so that's my ludicrous attention seeking at least you in it together we were in it together I wouldn't have done it on my own no, no definitely yeah, then, not then at least no. kind of problem shared is a problem hard yeah exactly like yeah one. yeah exactly <laughs> And performance marketing is all about ratings. So I've asked you to come with something that is overrated and underrated in the industry. So I'm going to let you choose which one you start with. Okay. It's up to you. And yeah. then, yeah, yeah reveal great. your ratings. Okay. So I've chosen a couple of things that are commerce related. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> the first thing is voice commerce. And that's, I believe, is an overrated. Um, oh, really? Uh, yeah, um, thing in industry. And so, so the voice commerce is or, or voice activated shopping is, um, when people can shop by making commands using their Alexa or Google Assistant or their smart, smart, smart speaker. And, um, whilst I definitely believe that there's a place for this, um, functionality, there's, it's, it was something that when it first launched, everyone was raving about it and all the brands and clients were like, well, what about voice commerce? What are we going to do about voice commerce? And actually, there's a specific place for it. Um, which is, you know, I, I use it. I have, I have a, a, a smart speaker at home and I've got a live shopping basket. So I just keep adding things to it. That's the rule in our house. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, my husband does forget to do that. So oh, really, there'll be empty things. So you're in left the- short. Covered, whatever it is, whatever it is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, Not dear. good. And I, you this know, is we... a public, you know, <laughs> PSA to read on. I know. Husband. I'm going to. I am going to um, ask him to listen this to this back to this because um, it's yeah, something some that's lessons. an argument <laughs> in the house every week. Where you know, it's a very simple rule. When it runs out add it to the shopping basket. So anyway, um, that's great. So it's really good for things like groceries and, you know, really sort of repeat purchase things. And, you know, sometimes the smart speakers, they recognize your patterns and therefore recommend to you, Mm -hmm. do you need to order this more, which I love, you know, some people don't, but I love it because I just don't, I'm I'm really scatterbrained. And I like the fact that I've got like a PA almost at home that tells me that. Quick reminder. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is that it's not very good for things like fashion, you know, sh- that kind of e-commerce. Um, there's lots of different categories where it just doesn't work. And so it's really important for it to be um, something that is a useful tool in the right sector and be, be, be conscious that it's not going to work. So, you know, if you want to order a pair of black jeans, you don't do it through mm-hmm. your through voice commerce. Do you think that's because there's too much choice and subjectivity when it comes to things like fashion? Yeah. Right? And so it can't, you know, can't recommend the right things exactly. No, that's but right. Maybe with a progression of technology, could it get better? Potentially. If there was, you know, you can get these Alexas or whatever with the screen, if they could appear, then that would make it a better way. So you could search for it with your voice and then look at what's what the product is and then make the purchase. So it'd be a combination potentially in the future. But that's that's not something that's that happens right now. And so the converse of that in terms of the underrated item is conversational commerce. And that's when, you know, brands can communicate with consumers directly through um, messaging apps like WhatsApp and what have you. And so 
this is something that I think is actually forgotten about and therefore underrated by by brands um, because it's a really good way for brands to be able to communicate with their consumers directly. So, for example, when Facebook launched Facebook Shops, they they had this opportunity to connect with um, WhatsApp so that you could actually um, reach out directly to people who were looking at whatever it was on Facebook. We we actually did this with, we've got a case study uh, where in Malaysia we ran um, with L'Oreal um, for their Lux division, a virtual beauty festival. So when, when COVID happened, you know, Lux products from the L'Oreal range, usually you would want to try to um, sell them face to face, so you'd have a sales consultant talking about the benefits and all of that, and that was that wasn't happening, and so they were losing lots and lots of money, and so they where they ran this twelve hour virtual beauty festival where consumers would come along to watch the live stream on on um, Facebook, and then there was an opportunity for them to put a hashtag into into I think it was in Messenger actually, and then that that through that they would get connected to a uh, a consultant who would then talk to them about the product or give them more information that they wanted or answer any so queries. So they're connected to a real person as yeah. opposed to a chatbot or something? Yeah. I think it might have started with a chatbot, maybe for the first question, but mm-hmm. then it they were connected to a real person. And then they could make the purchase within all within the platform. Um, and it was a 12-hour event. Um, and Wavemaker sort of did the pre like the run up to the event sort of through through the the Facebook platform advertising it and reminding people as you got closer to the actual event there were eight brands that participated and then there was post you know because obviously they gathered data uh from the event they were able to post like sort of re retarget people as well but what what it actually resulted in was they they generated a month's worth of sales in in one day. In one day, it was just phenomenal, an absolutely phenomenal outcome. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like you're bringing bringing people back to the front as well, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, completely. So you've uh, you've just talked about uh, a case study there, but we want to can you can you tell us about another moment of best practice? for you and Wavemaker um, about a project that you've worked on and, you know, how you got other people's attention. Recently, the the the, the, ex- the most exciting project I worked on, I, I mean, I'm using the word exciting um, and I don't <laughs> want you to judge me on this, but I really found it very exciting. Um, so I'm based in the consultancy hub at Wavemaker and um, what we do is to integrate um, specialist services within media because obviously media is the, the core and heart of Wavemaker. Um, and because we understand that we need to um, include things like commerce and content as part of the journey to make it a holistic experience. Um, and so one of the areas that we cover as part of the commerce team is to is to um, write st- like strategic guidelines for clients. A lot of them ask us to do, um, to write, to sort of research and then write guidelines about a specific topic. And so recently I, um, I was I want they they want they were interested in the new economy sector of last milers as as we call them or quick commerce. So these are the Instacarts or GoPuffs in the US, um, the UK mm-hmm. or Europe. It'll be Deliveroo and you know um, Zap, Getir and yeah. Zap, and then you know in for example in in Southeast Asia, um, GoCheck and Grab. Um, so what what happened was 
there were, as we all know, there's so many of them that are sort of appearing suddenly, mm-hmm. and it becomes very confusing as to what all the different op- what they all offer. They all offer the same thing, which is quick commerce, and some of them evolved from being restaurant sites like Deliveroo to then offering groceries from from um, retailers. But um, essentially, they all offer quick commerce. That's what their functionality is. Um, but they do have their own USP. So a, C- a CPG brand we were working with wanted to try and demystify what was going on. So they wanted us to write a global playbook for them, which would look at all of these different types of um, last milers and understand what... Um, you know, what was the benefits of different ones, what the, you know, the challenges were with working with some of them. And they, and we, we sort of built it around a framework. So we looked at things like assortment. So what, what products would they need to think about putting into different types of last milers? And then what would be the, the inventory strategy? Because for example, Instacart doesn't, um, hold any stock you go direct to the retailer so you purchase it from the retailer through the instacart platform but then for example get here in the uk has what's called a dark store so you have to think about what you're going to sell them in terms of the inventory um thinking about things like how you're going to make the most of merchandising on their platform um all the way through to the media because obviously media is our bag um and how to advertise and who does advertising so there was a real sort of my what's the word for it um a difficult area i can't think of the word right now um in terms of what 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 the best platform would be to go mm. after and what the best strategy is for each of the different yeah, platforms yeah I mean, it sounds heavily complicated <laughs> it i mean it, it 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 was but i found it fascinating and i really bored my family stiff talking about it when i was researching it because i just found it fascinating it's in the moment there's so much going on with it um in terms of you know there's lots of um investments that are going on um so you know they get different platforms are getting investment and therefore they're able to sort of really elevate their their position other ones are being taken over by other bigger ones so it's a very volatile arena at the moment and it's still ongoing obviously um we've just recently i've seen in the press recently how quite a few of them are starting to see a diminishing sort of um revenue because consumers are now going to the shops instead of quickly ordering online um and so it's 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 going to be interesting to see how it how it sort of pans out but that's that's the kind of thing that we would do and so you know from a best practice perspective i suppose it's it's difficult to do a best practice on something that's evolving yes but you you have to take choose a moment in time and then say this is the state of play and so what they what the cpg client did was to socialize that amongst the markets globally so mm. that they could they could take it away and try and figure out what to do for the best <laughs> yeah it is it is interesting though because it's there's so many coming out and it's interesting to see what uh these companies priorities are um when they release these these apps and platforms because obviously it's you know about getting things quickly and for a while in the last couple of years that was a trend people wanted things instantly we had prime and yeah. everything but yeah. now as you said that is kind of going down especially as cost of living's going up people are starting to wait you know happy to wait a bit and longer be more for mindful. Stuff, be more mindful yeah. what we did do actually was to create personas for this particular client to identify who 
their target consumer would be um, sort of to to try and establish what the kind of consumer journey should be based on those persona. Um, so, yeah, no, that I loved that. I loved doing that project. It was fantastic. You've spoken about demystifying something for a CPG brand. So now it's time to demystify another element of the industry. And it's an opportunity for you to teach me something. Because performance marketing is very, it's very technical, it's very complicated. And, you know, we're all trying our best to understand as much of it as we can. So I'll be your student. Okay. For a minutes. Right. I'm afraid I have chosen something fairly dry. Um, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. It's, um, it's headless commerce. So headless commerce is something that is actually quite a myth of a mystery for quite a lot of brands. Um, and trying to explain it can be quite tricky, but mm-hmm. I'm quite passionate about it because if I was back in retail again, I would absolutely adopt it. So what headless commerce is, um, it's an e-commerce architecture where the back end of a website and the front end are decoupled or um, they're disconnected, basically. Okay. And so what this means is that the back end, which is where all the information sits, like the data, the payments information, the pricing, the product information and so forth, that is all separated from what would be the front end, which is the, for example, the website that you would see as a consumer. Um, and th- the two are connected with APIs. And so basically what, what would happen traditionally with um, traditional e-commerce architecture is that the homepage, for example, let's use that as the example that um, to bring this to life, is connected to the back end. And so if you wanted to change the template of the homepage, you would have to get the web designer to design it and the web developer to code it into the back end. And then they would go back and forth between them mm-hmm. um, to, to test it to, until they'd got the experience that they wanted to see on the front, which could take two or three days. Um, and it's very laborious and irritating actually for me as a head of e-com as I was back then I'd be like well why can't it just happen (laughs) Um, and so what the the beauty of headless is that there is no front end so that templated homepage doesn't exist and instead it's an experience which is built up with code which you can access from an open in the open source it's an open source accessibility and this is code that's been tried and tested and you just connect the different pieces of code and then that creates the front end experience and then that and that is done very quickly and can be done in a very agile way and there's several benefits to this firstly it means that because you don't have to do any testing you're just serving it it's an experience you can take it down really quickly you can be very agile if you've got a very fast paced trading calendar for example mm-hmm. you can serve experiences in lots of different places so you know iot social commerce which is huge so thinking about all of those different platforms that you might want to serve experiences you can do that across all of them really quickly with headless you can have a website if you want or you don't have to have a website because you can use other ways of serving um, the experience to the consumer and so this is something that you know is is really it would be for a for a brand that wants to do some um, serve experiences in an agile way and be consistent in the experience as well. You can do that, mm. but there, it it can also 
do other things. So, for example, if you have got all of these front end experiences um, across social commerce, across your website, your app or whatever, um, you have to manage the stock in the back end. And if you connect that all of that properly to your stock or your inventory management system or whatever it is, you can be quite agile in pivoting the stock to the to the experience that's working the best basically. So it's quite a clever piece of t- um, tech, but it's not for every brand. So yeah. if it's a very sort of... So what, what brands wouldn't it wouldn't work for? So I think definitely for like fast fashion. I mean, I can. I think it has a place for most brands. Kind but if you fast brands, as you yeah, say. Pay, yeah, pay exactly. Thing. But if it's, if it's, for example, a brand where you have very regular sales, like, I don't know, um, like a brand that sells nails for um, for home DIY of, or something like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a very good example, but <laughs> you know, that kind of thing, which is very plod, plods along with its sales, then there's no need to sort of go to all these different experiences. Okay. Um, but, you know, as I said, it's a good way to set up as a new brand because then it allows you to be as agile as you want with all the different places that you might want to serve experiences. And does it pose any risks with this kind of, there's no back and front end. I'm, I've seen you mentioned kind of like payment information so, and things like yeah. that. Can that get... Well, because of the evolution of APIs and that technology, that means it's so fast in terms of the information it serves. So if the API fails, which doesn't really happen, mm-hmm. um, that's the only place where it could be a risk. Well, we have almost come to the end of this episode. But before we do we have your great resell me a pen challenge, which is where we ask our guests to resell or remarket an outdated or no longer used item that's been replaced with some newer technology. This is graded, of course. So yes, I will be the teacher and I will be scoring you this time. And the item that we have given you is an analog alarm clock, not too outdated or but you know it's now been replaced with iphones so completely if you can remarket with a performance marketing strategy you will get extra bonus points as well so so the analog alarm clock is something that i figured would be not purchased by gen z at all because they would just use their phones as you say um you know it's something I think, yeah, Gen Z was my target group for this. And so I naturally thought of TikTok as the starting point. I thought of doing a TikTok video or a hashtag challenge, which where an influencer, you could use a a macro, like a mega influencer who has really wide reach, but perhaps not as good a conversion rate or a micro influencer who's a much better targeted, you know, conversion opportunity. And then So to reach out to these Gen Z people, um, (laughs) this influencer would wake up with the alarm clock um, pinging in the background or whatever. They would have to find something, a USP for the product, um, perhaps something around style because it's it's a stylish item, you know, retro kind of thing. And they jump out of bed to Madonna's song Hung Up. (laughs) <laughs> which has got a time thing yes, to it. Yeah, yeah. And they would do a dance and then that would become the challenge that would then go viral. There'd be a link to be able to purchase directly. So you could either purchase on platform, depending on which market you're in, or you link out to the website for a seamless purchase journey. And then you could take snapshots of the videos to put onto other platforms, such as Instagram, where Gen Zers live. Um, and 
again create the the purchase journey from there so to to, to directly purchase the item that, that was i'm so impressed honestly i've got a check i've got a checklist here where i'm going through target audience check you know check social platform check and you know i mean we've got to mention but tiktok for an alarm clock you oh know. yes of course i didn't even think of that there you go it's the perfect it is the perfect, perfect place. platform um yeah you've got your links if you want to go down the affiliate route it's all there absolutely um yeah, yeah. and the target audience i mean it's a spot-on marketing uh strategy there thank you i you might sh- i might keep my job yeah. <laughs> was it riding on this today yeah. <laughs> completely they said, don't bother coming back <laughs> Yeah, if it's less than a nine, yeah. you can pack your bags. Well, okay, so you have gone full, you've gone all the way with a, a performance marketing strategy. And that is, I think, what one of our best ever. Really? Performance marketing strategy, for sure. <laughs> In terms of the reselling of the item, I think nothing's been done to the item, but that's all right. I think you've done something new to the question. You've just how you'd resell it rather yeah. than how you'd like re I don't know, change it up as some people have done. Oh, right, okay. So, but the, I mean, you've thought about every, you thought about it so in depth there. So I'm going to give this, I'm going to give it an 8.9. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. As in the, the oh, do you know what? Actually, I'm going to upgrade that by 0.1. You can okay, have a nine. Thank you. I was going to say, what's the 0.1? What's going to make the 0.1? <laughs> the 0.1, I think, was just like, you know, changing up the, uh, oh, the product, the itself. product itself. Right. Okay. But that could have been entirely my fault for the brief. So, <laughs> but I was so pleased with the strategy there. So you've got a real win to go away with there. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for coming on our podcast this week. It's a pleasure to have you on. You have taught me so much. um, And yeah, we've got some great things to take away, some great advice for brands as well. So I hope you've enjoyed being our this week's attention seeker. Yeah, it's been good. Thank you very much for having me. No, not at all. (laughs) Fab. If you want to find out more about the news and trends from global brands, agencies and platforms in the performance marketing industry, register with us on our website at performancemarketingworld.com. And don't forget to look out on our socials, which are linked on the site and in this episode's description, to send in suggestions for next time's Resell Me a Pen Challenge. And thank you all for listening, and I look forward for you to join me next time.